0: This episode of the Locked On Giants podcast is brought to you in part by The Peacock and Williamson Show, hosted by NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson. You can get the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move made. Check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trena here with you. And it is uh, actually today is the Thursday show. So it's June 10th. I'm recording the show as I always do uh, the night before. A little late with this one. I wanted to get the, uh, the, the rundown of the second day of the Giants minicamp out to you a little earlier, just got caught up with some writing and whatnot, but hey, better late than never. And of course, that's going to be the topic of today's show. We're going to talk about some highlights and some thoughts to come out of day two of the Giants Mandatory Minicamp. So happy to have you with us here on the show. And before I dive right in, just a quick reminder, we are going to be doing a, uh, a listener mailbag. So we're going to do a special not a Twitter Thursday, I guess it would be a Twitter Friday. So we'll do a Fan Friday mailbag. Um You can get your questions into me by sending them to Podcast at gmail.com and I'll answer a few of them on the program as well as give you some final thoughts on day three of the Giants' mandatory minicamp. And then next week, of course, we'll go into our summer schedule where we'll be coming to you three days a week. But more on that um, and Friday's show. All right, so we've got a lot to talk about uh, from day two. And uh, I'm going to start off with the Saquon Barkley story. So Saquon Barkley, as everybody knows, he's rehabbing from reconstructive knee surgery. And I want to want you to remember that term, reconstructive knee surgery, because I'm going to get back to that in just a moment. But Barkley spoke to the media today for about 15 minutes. And basically, just as was the case with Joe Judge, Barkley was not able to put a time frame on when he would be back or ready to go in the lineup. Now, why is that significant? Well, because for as long as I have been covering the game of of NFL, every athlete who has ever gotten injured has always said, oh, you know, I'll be ready by such and such a time, you know, I'll be ready for next week if it's in season, or I'll be ready for the start of training camp or whatever. And I think it's very, very telling that Barkley and the Giants have not attached a time frame to him, you know, they don't want to rush him back. And... It's a good thing, too, because I mentioned before he had reconstructive knee surgery. And the best way I can describe it without getting too technical is unlike a a tear where they just kind of uh, re they just kind of stitched together the two pieces of the tear of the ACL, Barclays was apparently so bad off that he needed the thing reconstructed, meaning they had to basically get rid of the old um, ACL and graft a new one. In, in its place. And whenever you do a grafting, my understanding is, is that can take a little longer because, you know, you need it to attach to the bone and be nice and secure. So sometimes the recovery can take a little longer. Hence why there's no rush really to get Saquon Barkley back on the field. I know sometimes ACL injuries, you see a guy running around this time of year doing stuff you know, when he, when he's several months out from surgery, you're not going to see that with Barkley. And in fact, I would not be surprised if Saquon Barkley starts training camp on the pup list. And if he does start it on the pup list, he will count towards the 90 man roster. Um, it's, it's called active pup. It's not like, you know, if he lands on pup, he's going to be done for six weeks minimum. He's going to still be eligible to be. Um, activated. But, um, yeah, I, I am wondering now, especially because the NFL I believe is going to keep the IR rules and, and, and all that stuff, um, for the start of, for, for 2021. Um, I don't think that, you know, they, they're they not going to put Saquon on injury reserve because he'd have to suffer an injury while working out. But I do think starting the the, um, the preseason, I should say, starting training camp on Pup is not out of the question. I don't think we will see Saquon Barkley much during training camp. I know we won't see him during the preseason because I just don't see them putting him out there for, for you know games that just aren't going to count for anything. And um, I still say that if he is ready for week one, and I'm, I'm starting to have my doubts as to whether or not he will be ready for week one, I think... I could see a scenario where maybe they even hold them out for the first two weeks of the season because, look, it's going to be a long season for the Giants. They want to make the playoffs. They feel pretty good about their chances. And so what if you don't have Barkley for a game or two in the beginning? You want to have them healthy and ready to go when things start to heat up and, you know, you're going down the stretch. But um, So, yeah, I I would not be surprised if, if Barkley, you know, we don't see him for a while. And I know that's been reported elsewhere. I've been saying it now for a while. If you've been listening to me or reading me, you know, I've been saying that for a while. Um, you know, and just listening to Barkley talk today about, you know, the, the peaks and valleys that he's had during this whole journey. You just get the sense that he's probably not where he would like to be, but, you know, that he's fighting almost with himself to be patient because it is a process and he'll get there, folks. Don't get me wrong. Barkley will get there. He will play for the Giants in 2021. I have no doubt about that. I just think, you know, they're being smart with him, and rightfully so, because he's so valuable to them, and, and their playoff chances and the offense. And, you know, I just want to see him come back and be healthy and be able to be himself again, because I think that's just going to be a tremendous boost for everyone. And as I've mentioned before, you know, in the past, some... Some uh, players will rush themselves back from injury and then they'll resuffer the injury or some, they'll compensate and they'll suffer something else. So I don't want to see that happen with Barkley. I don't think anybody wants to see that happen. And that's why I'm glad the Giants are kind of taking it slow with him. So wanted to lead off with that uh, because that was one of the big stories from uh, day two of the, the mandatory minicamp. The another story, just real quick, this isn't a big story, but just an FYI, um, it came out of Cleveland that the Giants are planning to do a couple of um, joint practice sessions with the Cleveland Browns, whom they play week two of the preseason. I think that game is Sunday. Um, it's a Sunday in August. I don't remember the date off the top of my head, but it's the second preseason weekend. And, um, uh, you know, you could also see the Giants end up doing some joint practices with, the uh, New England. That, from what I understand, is not off the table. But, um, yeah, Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski to the Browns media, um, uh, confirmed that, that, uh, that is the plan that he and Joe Judge are, are planning to get their two squads together. Assuming, of course, you know, it's safe to do so and the NFL green lights it. So that's the plan there. All right. Um, basically, uh, I, rather than give you play by play in terms of you know what I saw the the day two of the mini camp, I'm sticking with general thoughts. And I want to uh, before I, I take a quick break, I want to talk about Daniel Jones because one of the things on my watch list, if you will. Um, is I wanted to see how quickly Daniel Jones was getting rid of the ball in passing attempts. Now, just a little background here. One of the knocks that I had against Jones last year that every quarterback, trainer, or expert I spoke with had against Jones was that there were times when he just held onto the ball way too long. Now, I went and I looked up the stat, and I wrote this on Giants Country in my observations, but... You know, this Jones averaged basically three over a little over three seconds from the time he took the snap to the time he released the ball. So what I did during day two of the minicamp is I whipped out my my stopwatch. I have a stopwatch on my my uh, iPhone and I wanted to see from the time Jones dropped back and set his feet. How long did it take him to make his reads and get rid of the ball? Now, I only did this for about maybe six pass attempts because, um, you know, and then the pass attempts, just so you know, they had different drop back depths. So maybe one was a three-step drop, a couple were five steps. There was, a, I think, a seven-step drop in the mix. So I didn't want to, you know, count that. I wanted to wait until he dropped back, got his feet set, and got ready to either throw the ball or take off. Now, keep in mind... In this camp, there is no contact. They're basically playing against air. There. There's no really no pass rush to speak of. You know, if a guy gets by, you know, big deal. It's not, Jones has nothing to worry about getting hit or anything like that. My findings, and this is unofficial, just my findings was that on four out of his six pass attempts, Jones held the ball for nearly three seconds. And that's not quite what you want to see. You want to see him get rid of that ball in 2.5 seconds or less. So I was a little, you know, I, I won't say disturbed, but I was kind of surprised that he was still holding on to the ball a little longer. Now I don't know if that's because he figures, okay, there's no pass rush, I'm not going to get hit, I can afford to wait and give give a, a receiver an opportunity to get open, or you know, whatever the case may be, but. You know, you want to at some point see him start playing or start practicing at an up tempo, like he's going to end, ultimately have to play. And that's something that, if you want to put down on your list of things to watch when the preseason games happen, that's going to be a fun exercise to keep an eye on. From the time he drops back and and gets set, how long does it take him to throw the ball? Uh, to his intended receivers, and the longer it takes, the more likely he's going to get under pressure, or maybe even sacked next year um, when they when they games start to um, when they start to count for real. So, just something to keep an eye on with Daniel Jones. All right, Giant fans, we've got plenty more as we run down the uh, some some big picture um, points from day two of the Giants' mandatory minicamp. And that's coming up shortly. I've got some thoughts about punting, the uh, punt team, the punt return team, the defense, just a, a bunch of other thoughts coming up. But first, did you know that 85% of the people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is that really surprising? The game's rigged against you because you're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time, giving you little to no chance of winning. Well, let me tell you about Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineup and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes and the winner takes all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time and no one else does that. You are in total control and it's one versus once. So play Stat Hero now and change the odd. Go to StatHero.com slash locked on and sign up for free. And right now you can get three times back on your first play. That's right. They're giving you a 300% match, which is unheard of go to stathero.com slash locked on. And don't forget that code that locked on that's important. So that's stathero.com slash locked on. Giant fans, we have much more content coming up here on the Locked on Giants podcast. But first, let me take a moment to tell you about rockauto.com, a family owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. RockAuto.com offers an extensive selection of auto and body parts for dozens of auto manufacturers, makes, and models all at competitive prices. Get what you need for your car or truck delivered straight to your door from rockauto.com's extensive and easily searchable catalog. And be sure to write in Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, Giant fans, you are with Patricia Trane here on the Locked on Giants podcast. And we're talking day two of the Giants mandatory minicamp, just some general big picture type of observations and thoughts. Um, because right now, quite frankly, to give you a play by play, Really not going to do you any good, especially since, you know, nobody's in pads, nobody's hitting. It's not really football the way we know and appreciate it. But let me turn um, the attention to the punting team. And uh, this is something I wrote about on Giants Country. and You know, I, I had a theory about Riley Dixon and why Riley Dixon struggled last year. And um, my theory in, in, in a nutshell is after seeing Riley Dixon having to make five tackles, which is just unheard of for a punter, I wondered if perhaps the inconsistent play of the Gunners, which was brought on by the fact that they the Giants had a bunch of, you know, a rotation of Gunners. They didn't have consistency there. I wondered if maybe that was part of the problem. So I put that question to special teams coordinator Thomas McGahey. And uh, T-Mac is wonderful. He really is. I love asking him questions because he always gives you a really good answer. And he liked the question. He said it was a good question. And he did admit that that had something to do with it, that you want, ideally, continuity with your your coverage team and especially with your gunners. Because, you know, as he said, you know, look, you changed the... The lineup on the offensive line, for example, and all of a sudden the chemistry changes. So it does make a difference. Now, after we got done talking to the coordinators, it just so happened I, I ran into Jeff Fiegel's former Giants punter who is now part of the Giants broadcast team and a real terrific guy. I know Jeff obviously from, uh, you know, years ago when he was an active player and Jeff and I, when we run into each other, we still sit and we talk about the game and whatnot. So anyway, um, I, I mentioned to Jeff the whole thing. We we got to talking about Riley Dixon and and Jeff is a very big um, fan. Or he he's in Riley Dixon's corner. And you know, Jeff told me something which is really I thought was really you know helpful because it's actually going to help with forecasting who makes the roster this summer. And Jeff was saying that ideally with the Gunners. If you can have at least one guy who is a wide receiver, that's what you want because wide receivers naturally are taught how to defeat the jam that they get from a defensive back, which is pretty similar to what a gunner is going to get. Um, and wide receivers just have a way of, you know, tracking things, tracking the ball. So if you want them to maybe run down the field and, and down the ball, you know, they're, they're trained to do that as part of, you know, their job on offense. And, you know, in thinking about that, remember when Riley Dixon had his really strong year in 2019, who was one of his gunners? That's right. It was a wide receiver, Cody Core. And Dixon had a really outstanding year. His other gunner that year was Antonio Hamilton. Last year, I think Dixon had at least, at least, uh, eight different combinations of gunners. And, you know, they were all inconsistent. And it was a problem for him because, you know, he, he would punt and balls were, would either roll into the, the end zone for touchbacks as opposed to being downed. And it was, it was just a problem. Now, to be clear, Dixon wasn't blameless. He, he was inconsistent a little bit with his directional kicking. So that's something that when McGahey was asked that question, um, earlier before my question came up, you know, he said that he's got to keep working at it. But I just found that interesting because it was a theory I had and, you know, he confirmed it and, you know, that, that was nice to see that I was on the right track there. See, I do get on the right track every once in a while, folks. Um, now, speaking of punting, I want to turn to Jabril Peppers for a moment because Jabril Peppers, um, call it a gut feeling right now, but I have a gut feeling that Jabril Peppers is not going to be this team's primary punt returner next year, meaning 2021. Matter of fact, I'm starting to wonder how much longer Jabril Peppers is going to be a Giant. Now, let me explain um, first with the punt return, and then I'll, I'll tell you why I'm wondering about Jabril Peppers' future with the Giants. The Giants have been having... They're wide receivers, you know, Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, a um, few cornerbacks have been returning punts or fielding punts, I should say. And while Peppers wasn't bad at the job, I think he averaged a little over 12 point yards per return, but he only had 15 returns. And I think he had the 12th most fair catches called last year. Which, you know, sometimes that's obviously on the coverage or the lack of the coverage or protection, I should say. But certainly that's a stat I think the Giants are going to want to improve. They're going to want to to see that number reduced moving forward. So with that said, I just have a feeling that the Giants are going to go in a different direction at punt returner. I don't know who it's going to be just yet, but I just my guess is it's going to be a wide receiver. Um, we've got to see how it plays out, obviously. Um, that competition is going to be wide open, but I I suspect Peppers is done as, as the punt returner. I, I don't think we'll see him as the primary punt returner. And, you know, he was asked about that, actually, and he said, basically, "I'll, oh, I'll do whatever, you know, the team needs me to do. All right, standard answer. I mean, I, I get it, but just a gut feeling I have because I don't think I've seen him very often, at least in the two days of of camp, go back there and return punts or field punts, I should say. They're not really returning the punts. They're just fielding punts. And, you know, it's early. I get it. There's still competition to be had. But just something, another thing to keep an eye on um, regarding the special teams. Okay. Now, just getting back to why I wonder if Jabril Peppers is going to be a giant, you know, beyond this year let's obviously there's the contract jabril peppers is entering his um rookie option year all right so he counts for i think a little over six million this year and i was surprised that the giants didn't look to extend him and lower that number and it doesn't look like they're going to do it this year now why is that Well, you know, here I am. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, great. The Giants finally have themselves three solid safeties, which they haven't had since 2011. So why wouldn't you want to lock up Jabril Peppers to ensure you've got him, Logan Ryan, and Xavier McKinney moving forward? Here's what I'm wondering now. You know, the Giants drafted Aaron Robinson, who's a a slot cornerback. But you wonder, you know, they have a position, it's called the star. And the star is basically a pseudo linebacker defensive back. And Peppers has played that role where, you know, the idea is to um, get that extra defensive back on the field in place of a linebacker, because you've got now a guy who can cover and you've got a guy who can obviously support the run defense if you need him to. So Peppers is not horrible in run defense, but he's at his best, I think, playing down in the box. And I just wonder if maybe the Giants coaching staff is thinking about replacing, you know, that star linebacker spot, putting that, you know, Aaron Robinson in there, because he's a guy who has size, he can play the run, and obviously he can cover. Now, can he play, you know, on the inside? Yeah. I mean, usually the slot cornerback and the safety, the roles are are almost not quite the same, but there are a lot of similarities. So I just wonder if the plan, like I said, is is to maybe move Aaron Robinson into that group. Now, that doesn't, you know, obviously Patrick Graham could turn around and say, look, I've got to have three safeties. I've got three safeties. Don't mess with my my setup. But just trying to piece everything together, the fact that the Giants didn't make an attempt to lower Jabril Peppers' number, it, it let's just say that that raises a flag with me. Because, you know, if a guy in your long-term future, you're going to want to do that. And, you know, you can understand with Evan Ingram why they didn't do it, because they want to see if they can finally pull out that talent and get him to play at the level that they think he can play at. But Peppers, you know, I, again... That's something to keep an eye on in training camp as well, and that is watching Aaron Robinson and whether or not he takes over that star role. I mean, Aaron Robinson. I think if he's healthy, uh, and if and if he shows the progress, he's going to get some work down in the slot. But I don't think his competition is necessarily Darnay Holmes. I think Darnay Holmes is still going to see a, a good number of snaps down in that slot cornerback. But just something to keep an eye on, folks. I mean, because when we talk about battles for training camp, and that topic's going to come up, you know, I'm sure in the next few weeks, as we get closer to training camp. That's one to keep an eye on. That's one of those hidden battles, if you will. So i um, curious to see how that plays out. All right, Giant fans, we've got plenty more coming up here on the Locked on Giants podcast. But first, make sure you check out our friends over at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar has nine amazing flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor right now. That is the Chocolate Mint Grasshopper. Really, really good, folks. Try it out. Um, Bilt Bar is like eating a candy bar without the guilt. We're talking roughly 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and about 17 grams of protein per built Bar. And right now, when you order at BiltBar.com, you can save 15% when you use the promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D, five. For 15% off your order at BuiltBar.com, check them out. Put together your own customized box. They've got nut-free and nut variety. Really good folks. I'm telling you, you're going to try them and you're gonna you're, you're not going to believe you're, that you're eating something that's actually good for you. So check them out and let me know what you think. All right, Giant fans, you are with Patricia Traina on Locked On Giants, and we are recapping day Number two of the New York Giants mandatory minicamp. Hope you are enjoying the show. We've got a whole lot more coming up, not just on today's show, but on tomorrow's show when we wrap up the three-day mini camp with observations and a few other thoughts. And um, don't forget, we also have coming up the listener mailbag. If you want to send a question, you can send that to me at giants podcast at gmail.com. If you want to tweet that to me, you can also tweet it to me at Patricia underscore Traina, and tag it Ask P Train. Just make sure though you mention that it's for the podcast. Otherwise, I might think it's for the mailbag on Giants Country and it might end up there and not on the podcast. So if you could do that for me, that would be really great. All right, a few more things before we wrap up today's show. I want to discuss Kadarius Tony. Now, just Going back to yesterday's show, I know a couple of you reached out and you said, hey, why are you so negative about this kid? You know, isn't it a little premature? And I made the point on yesterday's show that I didn't like the start of Kadarius Tony's um, Tenure with the Giants. And I understand, look, I, nobody understands how agents and contracts work more so than I do because I do a lot of salary cap work. So I get it that it is possible that, you know, the agent advised him to stay out of uh, training camp until the contract was signed. Matter of fact, I, I even wrote about that as that being the likely reason why he wasn't at the OTAs. That said, um, you know, this has just been a weird start for Kadarius Tony. Now, he did make it through day two of the, the mandatory minicamp, he made it through the entire practice. And that was a good thing because we saw a lot of good things, which I'm going to get to in just a moment. But, you know, just the start of his NFL career was, to me, just really shaky. I, I'm like, if you're a rookie and I, you got to remember, jo- Joe Judge doesn't care if you're a first rounder, if you've signed a hundred million dollar contract over 10 years or whatever the case may be. When everybody walks into that building, you're all on equal ground. So I guess what was rubbing me the wrong way a little bit with Kadarius Tony was that the advice that he may have been given by his agent. And I don't know that that to, that's to be true i'm just you know kind of spitballing here but if he was advised not to take part in the workouts until his contract was finalized you know i, I i'm sorry I, I just i see the point of it but i don't agree with it you're you're a rookie You've, you want to come in you want to hit the ground running and you know the good news is is that it was only a, you know a few days it wasn't like that This holdout extended into, you know, the starter training camp. I think if that had happened, then we really would have had a problem. Um, then we had the whole shoe issue. If you go back to the rookie mini camp and, um, you know, Kadarius Tony slipping during day one and leaving the practice early. And it, you just, you sat there and you said, you said to yourself, what is going on with this kid? When is he going to make it through a full practice? What are we going to see what everybody's been talking about? Well, the good news, folks, is that we saw it in day two. Very electrifying player. Kadarius Tony is. Um, his hands are amazing. I'm talking, this kid catches everything. They're soft. You know, you don't hear the thud of the ball hitting the hands. Um, just really electrifying. And you, you can just see him turn on that, that extra gear and get, get himself, you know, zipping past defensive backs. There was one play in particular where he just totally jute James Bradbury out of his cleats. And he was able to get it, you know, behind him, and and kind of like walk the tightrope between the sideline and and the um you know the field, and he made this catch in the end zone. It was pretty amazing. I, I was like, wow, what a fantastic catch he made! So that's the type of talent that I think the Giants see in this kid. And you know, I'm really excited about him. I think he's going to be a really neat player for them. Um, I've mentioned before that I could see him potentially even picking up some of the slack and running back. On a few plays here and there, you know, especially if Saquon Barkley isn't ready to go. And I mentioned for day one that Tony can still chuck a ball like a quarterback can. I mean, he threw a, a, a pass or actually a ball back to the, uh, the punt machine people. Um, that sucker had to go easily 50 yards and it was thrown on a rope. I mean, it was amazing. So I'm sure that's going to be in the playbook as well at some point. We will see that uh, with, with Tony throwing some of those gadget plays. So again, folks, to be clear, I'm not down on Kadarius Tony. I think he's going to be a really, really nice addition to the offense. And, you know, I just wanted to see him out there. I just wanted to see what he he could do. And, you know, I'm sure if I was frustrated by, you know, the, the start that he had, I'm sure there was other frustration that was greater than mine. So, You know that's that's where I was coming from with that. It's not you know me saying oh this kid's going to be a bust when he hasn't you know gotten on the field yet in in a game. So speaking of receivers, Kenny Galladay continues to work with Daniel Jones at every possible opportunity. I mentioned this yesterday. I'll mention it again. The quarterbacks go off and they throw a variety of different passes. You know, some of them are fades. Um, today they worked on fades. They worked on, um, you know, over-the-shoulder catches. They worked on slants and stuff like that. And it just seems like every time the quarterbacks have to pair up a receiver, you see you see um, Daniel Jones – Pairing up with Kenny Galladay, and that's good because you want those two to really develop the chemistry because they're going to need that chemistry when when the game starts. So, uh, and and Kenny Galladay, um, really really good. I mean, I don't think I saw him drop one ball during day two of the practice. I mean, really good hands. Real quickness. I like, you know, I I saw him catch one ball and he quickly turned and got upfield and, you know, flipped his hips and he was past a defender before you could say boo. And uh, that was really nice to see from Kenny Galladay because that's what the Giants are going to want to see, you know, coming up. Um, One last comment I'll make about day two, and this is kind of a, a general comment. I thought the energy in day one was high, considering that you know it, it was a day one the on on uh, Tuesday it was a really hot and muggy day, very oppressive the heat, and just really blech, you know it was the type of day that you just you walk in from being outside and you just you feel like you've been in a swimming pool. That's how hot it was. Day two was a little bit cooler. There was a nice cross breeze going across the field. It wasn't quite as humid, but let me say this about the energy. The giants were working on their third down installs on day two, and I don't ever recall seeing the energy that high for um for a practice you know now granted I've only seen a a, a small handful of practices with Joe judges head coach but Usually with mini camps, you know, the, the, the tempo is, is it's kind of like a fast walkthrough. It's not really, you know, it's, it's kind of like go through the motions. It's a cookie cutter type of practice. Nothing, you know, really stands out. This type of practice on day two. Almost reminded me of a training camp practice. Again, minus the pads, minus the hitting, just the energy level. I mean, people were really flying around on defense. They were flying around on offense, and it just seemed like a very spirited practice. And it's kind of weird because, you know, obviously there's one more day to go, and then the veterans go their own ways, and I think the rookies stay on for another two weeks, but. It's nice to see them building up that excitement, to see them building that camaraderie, to see them coming together. And it's just, it's hard to explain, but it's its a case of sometimes, you know, you watch a football team going through the practices in the spring. And I've seen this with giant teams in the past, where they've gone through the motions and they look like they're sleepwalking. And usually those teams, they come into training camp and for whatever reason they look tired they just don't look into it not so the case i think with this team this team is already you could see them chomping at the bit to get started to get the pads on to get going to get this to get this show on the road and i'm really you know it's early. We don't know how things are going to play out. There's still a lot of questions, and we'll find out over the you know the coming weeks. You know, like I mentioned about Saquon, where he's going to be, where Kyle Rudolph's going to be, you know, any of the other injured guys, where they're going to be, um, and and we'll find out obviously as we go through training camp who's going to be you know for sure the starting running back, who's going to be the, the receivers, and so on and so forth. But you could just feel the. Intensity and the the anticipation for the battles that come up ahead, and I I really gotta say you know it's it, it's been fun watching this team. We didn't get to get a chance to watch them you know during the off season last year because there was no off season. But it has been fun watching how Joe Judge has gradually built this team up by not putting too much on them to start with. And just kind of, you know, gradually, little by little, getting their intensity level up, getting the installs to a certain point to where when he sends them on their way after day three is over, you know they're going to come back and they're going to be ready to hit the ground running when they return for the start of training camp on July 27th. All right, Giant fans, that's going to do it for this edition of the Locked on Giants podcast. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow. We will have day three. Um, and our, just a general wrap up, um, we will get to your questions, which you know are always important to me. So send those to Giants at gmail.com. And I will get as many of those into the show as I possibly can. Um, until then, folks, you have a good one and we'll talk soon.